The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, I didn't get to mention this yesterday. It was on my list, but I didn't get to mention it. But this week, Governor Kathy Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams have teamed up again. They, together, called on the federal government to allow the asylum seekers to work. This is a bit of a press conference that the two of them had on Monday. When I speak with my asylum seekers at the Herks, at the hotels, on the streets, they state clearly, we don't want your free room and board and food and clothing. We want to work. The plea followed multiple attempts to get the federal government to step in and help. Now, I understand where they're coming from on this. We have an issue where there is a tight labor market. We could use more workers in the labor market willing to work for lower wages. Small businesses could use that help. Uh, Big businesses could use that help. And instead of New York taxpayers and federal taxpayers just footing the bill for all this stuff, these would then become taxpayers paying citizens that maybe could afford their own hotel room, that would be paying a little something in payroll taxes, in sales taxes, in city income taxes, and the like. That being said, while I understand what the governor and the mayor are trying to do here, seriously, and I think they are coming from a good place on this, I think they're absolutely wrong, and I think this is a very poor approach. I do not think the work permits should be expedited for these asylum seekers because, and I do think 80 to 90% of them are great people that are coming here for concern for their family's safety, and I applaud that, but I am concerned about the fact that if these rules go into place in New York, and you're able to sort of fast-track the process of getting a job, that's only going to make make New York City even more of a magnet for these migrants. And I think that's the last thing the city needs right now. Economists call that a moral hazard. And I don't know how much more of a magnet we can stand being. We just can't afford it at this point. And my concern about what the governor and the mayor are doing is that this would drive more people here at a time when we really can't handle it. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Every New Jersey state legislator is up for election this year. And because it's a redistricting year, you're seeing a number of incumbents run against one another. One of the very high profile races that we're watching in the upcoming New Jersey Democratic primary for state Senate is between New Jersey State Senator Dick Cody, a former governor and former state Senate president who is the longest serving lawmaker in New Jersey state history and state Senator Nia Gill, who is tied for the longest serving female and longest serving black legislator currently in office. They're both longtime Essex County Democrats, and they were even running mates at one point. And instead of retiring, both Cody, who's a 76 year old funeral director, and Gill, who's a 75 year old attorney, decided to challenge 
against one another. Now, it's no secret. I am a big fan of Dick Cody. He has been a guest on this program before, and I'm a great admirer of what he did in New Jersey as governor. Even though he was only in office for 14 months, he pushed through measures to raise the minimum wage, increase school security, require steroid testing for high school athletes. He banned junk food in schools. He uh, did a lot of other things, signed legislation to clean up diesel vehicles in the state, reduced soot pollution in the air by 10%. He expanded the state's investment in stem cell research, and he basically handled the budget very responsibly, eschewing what everyone in Jersey loves to do, these one-time revenue fixes, and he set aside $600 million for emergencies. And something that we're not used to seeing in New Jersey, the state's credit rating actually improved as a result, and he managed to keep both the Giants and the Jets in the state of New Jersey without spending a bundle in public money to do it. Instead of just talking about keeping him in the state Senate, I think they should be talking about this guy to replace Governor Murphy as governor next year. I'm a big fan of Dick Cody. I'd love to see him win. I'd love to see him be in public office for a long time. The man is a great man and a great public official as far as I'm concerned. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. I don't think it's any secret if you've listened to these local commentaries that I am an advocate for charter schools. I think parents should have the ability to send their children to a charter school, particularly if they happen to live in a district where there's a failing public school. One of the criticisms of charter schools is that they don't have to abide by the same sort of restrictions that standard public schools do. And there's a story in the city over the last day or so that does illustrate illustrate that to some extent. There were nine times since December when Marilyn Bianco made a frantic drive because her son's school, Success Academy Harlem 2, called 911 on her eight-year-old. Her son has been diagnosed with ADHD, and when he gets frustrated, he sometimes has explosive tantrums, throwing things, running out of class, and hitting and kicking anyone who comes near him. And Bianco contends, since Ian started first grade last year, Success Academy officials have been trying to push him out of the school because of his disability. And this is an accusation that is similar to those made by other Success Academy parents. And if Success Academy were run by the City Department of Education, it would be subject to rules that limit the circumstances under which schools may call 911 on students in distress. But this regulation doesn't apply to charter schools, which, even though they're publicly funded, are privately run. Like all the charter schools, it's free to set their own discipline policies. And the staff called on police to respond to students in emotional distress at least 87 times since July of 2016, according to an analysis by the city and ProPublica. I'm not saying that they didn't do the right thing. It's easy for me not being in the school to second guess. But I am saying that I wish Success Academy and maybe other charter schools would find another way to deal with students that are dealing with temper tantrums or issues related to ADHD because this gives the opponents of charter schools such a potent weapon and look, an understandable one, to use against them when it comes time to decide how many charter schools places like New York are able to have. So I would hope that Success Academy and other similar charter schools would have a little bit more compassion when dealing with disciplinary cases and not so quickly call 
911. Beam me up. To be continued. The other side of midnight. Local spotlight. Well, what does New York have in common with Venice? Venice, Italy, not Venice, Florida. It is sinking. The city is subsiding between two millimeters and four millimeters a year under the weight of all its buildings. That's the word from a scientist that supposedly knows about this stuff. Maybe you've had that sinking feeling lately, and this recently published scientific paper suggested that all of New York, at least all of Manhattan, has and will continue to sink. The paper said that New York sinks by the small amount each year under the weight of all these buildings, with some areas subsiding much faster. A couple of millimeters is so little that the finding almost sounds amusing. Four millimeters, just to put that in perspective, is three twentieths of an inch. But the finding about the city's slow and gradual descent was really not intended to be funny. And that's the point that Tom Parsons, the geophysicist with the United States Geological Survey, who's the lead author of this paper, is trying to make. The concern is that the downward force of the buildings, coupled with rising water levels from global warming, which I realize some people don't even believe exists, could make the city more prone to natural disasters. And those factors imply an accelerating problem along coastal and riverfront areas. The point of the paper is to raise awareness that every additional high-rise building along a river could contribute to future flood risk. What's happening in New York is not only comparable to what's happening in Venice, but in some respects, it's It's comparable to what's happening in Indonesia. They're building a new capital city from scratch because the current one, Jakarta, is sinking. The president there gave up on trying to save Jakarta after raising seawalls and trying other measures. And it was really a sad thing looking at the photos that were in the New York Times this weekend out of Indonesia and seeing all these people being ready to abandon this capital city. So I don't know what the solution to this is, but some parts of the city are fed are sinking faster than others. There are areas along the East River in Queens and Brooklyn, as well as Coney Island, Jamaica Bay, and the Rockaways. I don't know about you, but as a lifelong New Yorker and somebody that plans to spend the rest of his days here, something I'm certainly worried about. Beam me up! To be continued.